We bless you, our one magnificent Savior that has come to save the world, O King of Glory. You came the first time, my heavenly God, and you're going to come the second time as a judge. We want to bless you because when you came, you gave us the opportunity for salvation. And right now we know that we shall be forever saved. We want to pray for everyone that is not born again. We pray for people that are struggling in one way or another, and they are focusing on things that they think can save them, and yet they cannot. We bless you, Lord. Continue reaching out unto the lives of your people because of who you are. We bless you, my heavenly Savior. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Friends, one thing that really disturbs people in life is finding a partner or finding a mate in life. That is something that really, really is challenging. Someone, when they come, uh, when they become of age, they're like, could he be the one? Could she be the one? And that kind of stuff. That is one thing that I <laughs> also struggled with at some point in life, but not that it is hard, but usually because often our thoughts are not the thoughts of the Lord and our choices are not the choices of the Lord. Otherwise, things will not be that hard. Praise the Lord. When it comes to salvation, uh, some people also struggle in one way or the other. But I want to talk about God's choice for salvation. One, uh, God is one and only Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, is what I want to talk about today in a theme that is entitled One Genuine Savior. The One Genuine Savior. Friends, when you look around in the world, you look at various ways that people have chosen to derive their own salvation or find it in one way or the other. It's so hard for you to find men going to confession boxes seeking salvation. It's so hard for you to find men setting up shrines in their ancestral homes or just in their backyards seeking for salvation. It's not hard for you to find a religion that will teach men and women to work very hard at works of um you know righteousness not works of faith but empty works uh, that they seem uh, that they think uh, are going to outweigh they uh, their sin and then they will be good to go uh, to heaven so they are kind of hoodwinking their god but friends there is one genuine savior that the lord has given unto the world to give us salvation as acts 4:12 says for this one name in which it has been given uh, for us to get salvation the man christ jesus and today the Bible with um, astounding precision uh, presents Jesus Christ as the only and one Savior. And friends, look not beyond Jesus. Eh? Do not look beyond Jesus. He's here. He has brought salvation. You can't find it anywhere else. Today, we are blessed because Zechariah teaches this. And uh, it is uh, actually corroborated by uh, uh, lots of other uh, passages in the Bible. But in the interest of time, I'm going to be picking a couple of them, and then we shall be good to go. Celebrate and rejoice, just like he says, daughter Zion. Why? Because you have the main thing. You have the main Savior. You have the journey Savior, and you cannot look beyond. You can't get anything beyond Christ, my friend. My only problem is that we go right ahead to Sauk, even when we have the Savior. Listen to this. Zechariah chapter 9. In verse 9 uh, is our focus. Zechariah 9, 9, 10 is our focus. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim, 
and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war, the bow of war, and will cut, will be cut off, and he will speak of peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord, our living Savior. Friends, we yesterday we started seeing uh, the close or getting into the close of this book. And I told you that when it comes to Zechariah chapter 9 up to Zechariah chapter 14, we are speaking of the close of the book in two um, divisions. Uh, one, Zechariah 9, 10, 11 speaks of the first coming of the Savior or the Messiah and his rejection because he was basically rejected by the majority at the first coming, especially the Jews for whom he came uh, so that salvation would pass through them to the end of the earth. Then Zechariah chapter um, 12, 13 to 14 basically speaks of his second coming and at his second coming the world will not have a choice <laughs> of rejecting him. They will either as uh, um, say he's not savior, but they will still have to see him and they will acknowledge that he's God. That much will, will have no discussion. And then uh, many other people will be saved at his second coming, even as he judges the world. Now, yesterday, what we looked at basically was um, his judgment of the world uh, or the nations when he comes at his second coming. Yeah. But now, today, this passage specifically speaks of the first coming of Christ. Right now, Zechariah is looking into the future, but as we speak right now, for us, we can speak retrospectively. We look back, you, you know, we look back to an event that has already come, but we are going to do it as if it hasn't, and also interpret it in line with the fact that it has actually come. Friends, we are blessed to have prophecy in the Bible uh, that comes to pass. We are blessed to have a God of the Bible, a true and living God, a God that doesn't lie, a sovereign God, because he says things lots of years before they happen, and they come with exact precision like you're going to see in this particular passage. Two things to note here today. One, the Savior that comes, and then two, what he comes to do is what we are looking at. Our theme is entitled, One Genuine Savior, the One Genuine Savior. In verse 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the fall of a donkey. Now, where is the connection between this passage and uh, the rest of um, uh, the book of uh, Zechariah and also the entire biblical framework and, and theological premise of the Bible? Where is the connection? When God speaks of the message that he has for Zechariah and the rest of um, Israel, it was a message of restoration. Remember, the they had been taken into captivity because of their sin. But God says, look, I am coming back to Jerusalem. I'm coming back to the mountain of the Lord. And when I get back, uh, Jerusalem will be called, or Zion will be called the mountain of the Lord, and Jerusalem will be called the city of peace and holiness. That is what Zechariah 8 teaches. You see that? Now, this book gives us the entire picture of humanity. Why? Just like Israel had been taken into captivity in Babylon because of their sin, God, by his grace, <clears throat> delivers them and brings them back into their land. You see that? Just like many of us are living in sin, lost in the world, God, who doesn't delight in the death of any sinner, 
um, comes unto us by his grace through Christ Jesus to give us salvation. <laughs> one of my good friends and sons on one of the platforms was doing very good theology when he complained about a leading pastor in Uganda that came up and jubilated because T.B. Joshua recently died. And he posted and said, friends, can anyone explain to me the meaning of this? Why? Because a pastor in Kampala was shouting at the top of, of over his voice and rallying his church and telling them you've gotten to give a shout of applause uh, to this because i told you it would happen they are dying one by one i mean why must you celebrate because uh, a false prophet is dying why must you celebrate if that is what he is why must you celebrate because when we look at Ezekiel 33, 11, the Lord does not delight in the death of any sinner. Even if you thought you had a point, why would you celebrate at such a thing? You see that? So God does not delight in the death of sinners. And for that very reason, that is why he came. The cause of God in um, Luke 19, 10 is that God came to seek and save that that was lost. Oh, you, you, you see that? So none of us could have made it to heaven if uh, the Lord were to stand by his righteousness alone and say, let them go into eternal damnation and destruction. You see that? So here, um, <clears throat> the point is that Zechariah is not just meant to stop at God delivering his children back into their land and stopping at that. No, remember they are a prophetic nation. Remember they are a, a nation that was appointed to bring redemption to the whole world. Like we are quoting Zechariah chapter, um, no, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse uh, 6 yesterday. He says that the intention was that God would bring a Messiah out of Israel through whom he would bring salvation unto the end of the earth. I hope you understand that. Now, right now, uh, Zechariah nails it on the head when he points to the future in one way or the other, looking at the first coming of Christ. But uh, amazingly, people reject him when he comes the first time. And today, we are focusing on the first coming of Christ, even when, uh, for us, I said, we are looking at it retrospectively. We look at it as if something that has already come, and actually, it has actually come. So what does the Bible say? He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humbled and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the fall of a donkey. You know, the first point is Zechariah predicts and prophesies on the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah. Secondly, when you look here at the language that he uses, he is encouraging Israel and he's telling them, we've been battered and beaten left, right and center. Why? Because of our sin. And ultimately, the absolute solution of the Lord is here in his savior, the king. Why does he refer to him as your king? Friend, you do well to remember that Israel had at some point craved for a king. To be precise, that is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. They went to God and they, they told him through Samuel, give us a king. Reason? <laughs> we want to be like other nations. What? That a king will come and reign over us and lead us in our battles. You know what they did? Because initially there had been a theocracy. They had been led of the Lord himself. So in one way or the other, they are rejecting the lordship of the Lord that was perfect, holy, and right, peaceful. And now they are saying, give us a king. And God, through Samuel, warned them about what the king was going to do. But even in their waywardness, God, even in uh, uh, their 
um, sinfulness of demanding for a king still had a plan of bringing um, a savior. And at some point, he makes a covenant with David. You know, he makes a covenant with David uh, in Second um, Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12 to 16. He says that he was going to establish him on the throne of Israel forever. And that he said that his kingdom would abide forever and it would be a kingdom or a, a, a reign of peace and comfort and righteousness. Now, all of us know that David has long died, but what he actually meant was that a son of David would come, you know, implying Christ Jesus. Luke 132 points to that fact and he says that Jesus was the son of who? David. He was pointing to Christ. And right now, this is why Zechariah calls him um, the son, uh, calls him the king, pointing to him being the son of David, who would come to reign in the position of a myriad of kings that had failed, that had led people into um, idolatry, into sinfulness, into, um, you know, uh, loading it over them and uh, or into autocracy and uh, dominating them. And finally, because of their sin, they ended up being battered and taken into captivity. The genuine king of God comes and delivers them from uh, uh, captivity and brings them into, uh, you know, a fellowship with the Lord. Uh, you know, where they are recreated to live in holiness and righteousness, just like Ephesians uh, 4, 24 says. You see that? That is the connection. But friends, the amazing thing is uh, um, the, the precision with which uh, Zechariah um, makes a prophecy about Christ. Look at what he says at the first coming of Christ. He says um, he is... Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt and a foal, a, a donkey. Now, I want you to know this, my friend. The Spirit of God here is interpreting for us to understand that this was well beyond 400 years. <laughs> He's making a prophecy well beyond 400 good years before it happened. But how did Christ come? How did Christ come? Let us go to um, Matthew chapter 21. And uh, this is in all the four gospel accounts. But I'm choosing Matthew. Why? Because he is the only one that mentions Christ riding on a donkey and a foal, or a donkey or a mare and it's a uh, um, young one. It is Matthew that notes that. Let us go to Matthew chapter 21, and I'll be winding this up very soon. It's amazing, friends. The Savior and the Messiah that we believed in is the only Savior. Because how does a man make um, a prophecy over 400 years before it happens, and it comes to, 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 to pass to the dot with an exact precision that could not be explained with anything else except that God was involved, and it was of God. You see that? Matthew 21, verse 1. The Bible says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there, and a coat with her, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord, take note of those words, the Lord has need of, it, of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill, you hear that, what was spoken through the prophet, 
Of course, here he doesn't say Zechariah, but he means Zechariah. Listen to this. Verse 5, Matthew 21. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gent, um, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. You hear that? The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he said, and sat on the court, on the courts. Most of the crowd spread their courts in the road, and uh, others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth uh, of Galilee. When we skip and we go over there, you're going to realize that when Jesus went, uh, he actually ended up by entering into the temple and he cleansed it. Uh, praise the Lord. Now, friends, this is a passage that we do a lot on Palm Sunday, but sometimes the meaning doesn't actually even come out well. The proper perspective of this passage is in its connection with the first prophecy or with the prophecies of the coming of the Lord at his first coming. You see that? Take note of a couple of words here. The Bible says when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he had not been in Jerusalem for some time. Why? Because there had been they had wanted to make him king before time. And uh, what happened was that he went into seclusion and went away for some time. Now, as he comes to Bethphage, he doesn't actually know what is in, in the city, humanly speaking, because he has not been there for some time. But when he enters, what does he do? He speaks to his disciples and he tells them, go right ahead and in such and such a place, you're going to find a donkey with its foal or a donkey with its young one and bring it to me. Friends, the Bible says when they went, um, Mark 11, 5, speaking of the same instance, says when they went, they found it exactly so. And the people asked them exactly like what Matthew is saying here because Matthew doesn't um, include it. You see that? What does that mean? It doesn't have any other explanation except one thing, that Jesus was God. Hallelujah. He was God. The name Jesus alone means, in accordance with Matthew 1, 21, that the one who would save his people from their sin. What? I think that. In other words, the prophecy that Zechariah makes is spot on. He is the only one, like we, we taught in our previous um series you can please ask for this series if you don't have them we taught you why jesus is the only one that is the messiah because it was only his um sacrifice that could be um accepted for atonement why because everyone else was sinful and then the blood of 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 lambs or sheep and, and cattle and and birds could not save man why because uh, it, it really had to be a man and a holy man at that who was not anywhere else except by God coming and um, in his divinity taking on humanity to be able to die for us on the cross. You understand that? So this is very, very important for us to understand. He is the only savior that was promised to come unto the world to save it. Praise the name of the living savior. Uh, you, you, you see that? Now, when they see Jesus, what do they do? They go right ahead and they lay down um, their coats and clothes 
uh, one on uh, the donkey and also on the road for him to come and pass. Now, Zechariah called him a king, but uh, usually when you go into um, when, when you go into the culture of um, um, the, the, the Jews, um, you, you basically get to understand that uh, th this was a, a, a treatment of, of royalty. You, you see, it, it was a treatment of royalty because in their culture, uh, this is what they actually did when they installed a king and they knew and acknowledged him as king. If you go to Second Kings chapter 9, verse 13, this is exactly what they did with Jehu when he was installed as king. It was a Jewish custom. In other words, they acknowledged him as a king that would come to save us, to save them and to save anyone else that would care to commit their faith in um, Jesus Christ. But the amazing thing is that many people rejected him. But now there is one thing that I want us to see that will uh, um, bring this out very, very well. Friends, with the precision that proves that Jesus is the only Messiah, Jesus is the only Savior, and look beyond, uh, not beyond him in any way. I want us to see another prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. It's a long one, but I'm just going to fuse it down into very, very few words. It's glorious. It's glorious, my friend. You need to understand this and see how our God is very genuine and how our Savior is the only Savior, and there will never be any other. And if you're placing your faith in anything else, then just know that uh, you're into a loss uh, and you need to uh, get back into committing your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, Daniel 9.24 teaches and says, um, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen to this, 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, uh -huh, you're hearing that, the prince, there will be seven weeks, that is one, and 62 weeks, it will be built again uh, with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Listen to that. He's speaking of the death of the Messiah, and we are going to calculate those years, and you will see exactly that they come to the day of the triumphant entry. Friends, our Messiah, our Jesus, our Savior, our Lord is the only Savior, and look not beyond him. There is no salvation anywhere else. And uh, eh, will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. Let me make a quick interpretation of this picturesque um, passage. Uh, it, it looks complicated, but it isn't at all. If you look at proper biblical manuscripts here, it's not complicated at all. <laughs> now, you need to know that when Daniel speaks of weeks here, he's speaking of years. There are weeks of years. Each day in the week here of Daniel is not a day, it is a year, okay? When he speaks of weeks of days, um, he, you, uh, he, you can see that in uh, Daniel chapter 10. You simply need to understand this. The Bible is connected. It was written by over, um, you know, 35 authors, 
over thousands of years. But friends, the the the, the precision with which the gig saw of the Bible, um, you know, is made to connect is out of this world. It baffles my simple human mind. It really does. You cannot say that this is a human book. You just cannot say that. Let me just and let the Spirit of God interpret this for us, and you're going to be amazed. And today, if there's anyone that is hearing this message, I want you, brothers and sisters, to move this uh, this teaching, send it wide, wide, send it wide. When I prayed about it, and even as I'm as I'm ministering right now, God wants many people to hear this. Send it to Muslims, send it to heathens, send it to everyone with prayer. People need to hear this. People who are claiming that Muhammad can save, who, people who are claiming that you can go to a confession box and get saved, people who are claiming that there's another way for you to be saved, people who are claiming that Jesus did not die, they need to hear this. And friends, um, we, we, we don't argue with them, and we are praying for them to be saved, and we, we, we are not castigating them in a way. Our prayer is that they will discern the truth, that the Spirit of God will open up the truth unto them, and that they can be able to understand this. For how can a man forge this? How can a man forge this? Over hundreds uh, of years, listen to this. Now, when Daniel speaks of um, weeks here, he's speaking of years, like we said. And uh, when when we go right ahead and we look at um, uh, what he calls uh, uh, the se- the first seven weeks, yeah, uh, this time spans the the, the, the Persian Artaxerxes. You remember that man in uh, in Ezra and in Nehemiah chapter two, um, when he decreed that there should be a rebuilding of Jerusalem, just like we've been seeing in Zechariah. Uh, you know, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 8, eh? um, uh, to the Messiah's kingdom, um, th- this this panorama basically can be broken into this, th- this, um, th- these three things, but I'm going to handle just to one. The seven weeks are not seven weeks, but they are 49 years. Are you hearing that? Because seven times seven, I told you, each, each, each week uh, or each day in these Daniel weeks is a year. So seven times seven is going to give you 49 years uh, in the first week that he's talking about because he says uh, 70 weeks have been decreed uh, for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin and so on and so forth. So the first seven week, um, the first seven weeks are 49 years, which uh, possibly comes to the closing of Nehemiah's career under the rebuilding of Jerusalem, at the time of um, Zechariah is in there, uh, to the end of the ministry of Malachi, and the close of the Old Testament. It was 49 years from the last time of the the return of the last batch of the Israelites connected with um, the uh, uh, with what we've been seeing in Zechariah, because you know there were two other returns. The first one was under. Um, 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 Zerubbabel and uh, our man, uh, you know, Joshua, the second under Ezra, the last one under Nehemiah. But when Daniel gets this prophecy, it is from the last one of Nehemiah. So those are 49 years. And then he talked about 62 weeks, which is 62 times one, seven, which comes to 434 years. When we get 434 years plus the first 49 years, it comes uh, because uh, about this one, he says to the advent of the Messiah. Let me read the verse once again. He says in verse 
in, in verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree, which decree over the rebuilding of Jerusalem from Nehemiah's time, from the issuing of the decree to the restore Eh? to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks. We've calculated those are 49 years. Not from um, not from Zechariah's days, not from uh, Zerubbabel's days, not from Joshua's days, but we are calculating uh, from the rebuilding of what Jerusalem is speaking of the days of what? Of Nehemiah. Because during the days of Zechariah, it was the rebuilding of the temple, not Jerusalem. You see that? I want you to stick with me here in this interpretation. And then he says, and 62 weeks it will be built again with plaza and mortar, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. You see that? And have nothing. And the people, the prince, and so on and so forth. Then plus 62 weeks to the death of the Messiah in his first coming. In other words, to the crucifixion of Christ. That is what we are calculating here. So 62 weeks times seven gives you 434 years. Stick with me. And then the first seven weeks gives us 49 years. 49 plus 434 gives you 483 years. Now, when you calculate um, to the first coming of the Messiah. This was fulfilled at the triumphal entry. The one of Matthew 21 that we've been seeing, the triumphal entry on the month of Nisan on the date of 9th in the year 30 AD. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful word of God. Wonderful. You hear that, you see that. Friends, over 400 years, and God is making a prediction, not a prediction, but he's making a prophecy. You see that? And he's saying Jesus is going to come, and he makes a precise prophecy. And on the 9th of Nisan, in the year 30 AD, Jesus entered what Jerusalem on the triumphant entry. Do you know what this means? That there is no other savior there's no other point of salvation. There's nothing else that is ever going to save you, my dear friend, except Christ Jesus. Do not look beyond the salvation that Jesus Christ gives. This is what the disciples were saying in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. When they were telling them you should not continue talking about the name of Jesus, and this is what Peter told them uh, in verse 12 of Acts chapter 4, and there's no salvation Eh? And there is salvation in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You see that? Friends, don't look beyond Jesus. I'm speaking to our um, uh, to, 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 to our Muslim friends, wherever they are. You cannot get salvation beyond Jesus Christ. You can see he is the only one who came to save the world. God prophesied through his prophets over 500 years in some areas, over 400 in some areas, and it came precisely to pass. You see that you cannot get salvation by working out your own salvation like they tell you that go right ahead and do what is right. You cannot do what is right because we are corrupted right from our birth. This is what David says in Psalm 51 verse 4, that in, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. You see that? You cannot give what you don't have. You need Christ. 
friends who go to confession boxes and you're talking to fellow human beings and you're telling them to forgive you. There is no forgiveness in any other name except in Christ Jesus. You, you, you see that? Friends who are waiting for death and they tell you wherever you go to fellowship that they are going to pray for you and you're going to move uh, through purgatory and you go to heaven. No, you've gotten to make your commitment to Christ. Why do you live down here? People who go to Arabic countries and you go to a place and you know, whoever you're going to see is dead. They are dead. They cannot help you, friend. And I'm not promoting any hate speech here. I'm simply speaking the truth, my dear friend. You see, they are dead. They can't help you. For us, Jesus was promised that he would come and he came, that he would be rejected the first time and was rejected like Zechariah is teaching us, that he would be crucified and was crucified. You, you see that, my friend? And, and that he would resurrect and he resurrected and that he would go back to heaven and he went back to heaven, my friend. And right now, every single person that commits their faith in Christ Jesus, they get born again and they are saved and eternally so. What are you looking at? Even in these corona days, the Messiah has already come. The Savior has already come. Friend, look not beyond the, the Savior that we have. He can give you peace even in the midst of your frustration. People that are living in sin, you've been into pornography, into masturbation, into uh, abortion, into immorality, into theft, into burglary, and you feel so dirty, into, you know, corruption, into all these sort of things, you know, killing others into witchcraft, into idolatry, whatever it is that you want to mention. Let me tell you, the blood of Jesus that he shed at Calvary is more than sufficient to save us from our sin. This is the message that God has for us. Today, I'm going to request you to move this teaching far and wide, wherever you possibly can send it. You've gotten to do this. As people hopelessly look on in these um, corona days and this lockdown, let me tell you, this Jesus uh, that came is our peace because in the last bit of Zechariah, he says that then Ephraim is going to, uh, you know, um, burn up its what? It's war um, uh, chariots, they, they, they will live in perfect peace. Now that is what is going to happen at this second coming when he establishes the millennium kingdom. But we say the same God who reigns now um, is the same God that is going to reign in the millennium and beyond that. And he can give you peace even in this corona situation. Even when your job is cut off, even when you, you, you cannot move, even when you guys are not going to the four walls of the church, you surely can worship wherever you want. Why? Because the one genuine Savior has already come. He was rejected at this first coming, just like Zechariah is teaching us. He won't be rejected at the second coming. Friend, submit your life to him. There is peace in this Jesus. Do not get anxious about anything, but submit who you are unto Christ with the totality of your being, and he will immensely grace you with his peace and comfort in whatever you're doing, because he is the one and only genuine savior, and nothing is too much for him. Zechariah 8.6 says, if you think certain things are impossible, with him nothing is impossible, because he is the one genuine savior. He can give you peace even in this times of confusion, even in these times of lockdown, he can surely give you that peace. Where have you put your confidence today, my friend? What are you counting on, my dear friend? Where is your frustration? Where is your sin that you think cannot be forgiven? This Jesus is the only and one genuine savior, and he surely can take charge and care of your situation. Father, bless us together, I want to pray. Even as we want to commit our faith, for those of, uh, for those that have never committed their faith in you, I pray that you say that Jesus, today, 
I've known the truth and I'm submitting to you. Come, Lord, and forgive me. I declare that I'm born again. Save me today and help me to walk in your honor and glory. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your peace and your holiness that I will live for you in Jesus' mighty name. May the Lord bless you in everything that you're doing. In this current confusion that we have of Corona, may our only Savior that has uh, control over each and everything, because he said he would come and die, and he came and died and resurrected. Friends, He, the one that was prophesied, predicted that he would come, surely came, and since he's the only one that is genuine, he can take charge of our situations. Whatever you want, you're worried about stuff, I pray that you do not look beyond Jesus Christ, focus on him. Whoever is not born again, whoever is confused about things, there cannot be two ways to heaven. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Whatever the confusion has been, I pray that you know that Jesus is waiting for you. He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to help you. He's ready to stand with you in this confusing and tumultuous days of Corona, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you abundantly. Amen.